0: Well, good morning, church. Morning, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. That's all good. That's, that's part of the course. She's uh, learning. <laughs> learning. Only one way to learn. Correction. You know, I, I pray that your, your Christmas was a blessed one and that you had, uh, you know, enjoyable time with your family and friends, loved ones, those closest to you. And uh, if it wasn't that way. Today's a new day. <laughs> His mercies are new every morning. And, and as Michelle alluded to, you know, it's, it's 2023 turn of a new calendar year. Uh, the reality is, you know, we're still here. You're still here for a reason. Your, your life has a purpose in Christ and he sees fit that he didn't call you home yet. So, uh, you know, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions myself, but if there's one thing I know that's pressing on my heart more and more every day, regardless of a, of a calendar year changing, is being about my father's business being about my father's business that is really truly solely the only reason we are all still here on this earth you're not still here on this earth to to pad your 401k or to collect more jordan shoes or to excel in your business or to do any of those things Um, those things aren't in and of themselves bad things right i can't stand when people say Money's evil. No, money is not evil. Money is an, an, an inanimate object. We use money to barter and trade, and, and we place a monetary value on things with money. If it wasn't money, it'd be rocks or anything else. But what does the Bible say? It is the love. It is the lust of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. When you love money, when you pursue that, or you pursue anything that would tarnish your soul, that becomes something that degrades you. Um, internally. I'm very excited for uh, the message this morning. And, you know, I had prayed about it uh, for quite some time. And Lord, you know, where where are we going to go next? And, you know, if you've been here, uh, you know that we've, uh, you know, we recently went through the book of Revelation. And then after that, it's like, oh, for sure, we're going to go through the book of James. That was where I was, you know, for sure the Lord was was leading uh, us to go. And you know, then the Lord kind of had basically, you know, led me to pump the brakes on that. Not not so fast. And we went through Haggai, which was really good because it, it showed us, again, the importance of again, being about our father's business. What happens when when our uh, worldly desires is let's just let's just keep it real. We keep it real here. Right. I'm not saying we're of the world. Every Christian struggles with worldly desires, with things that don't line up with the spirit. Heard a great message this morning, and it just emphasized this fact. You see, our old nature, which is the sinful nature, because we inherited that from our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents, the seed of Adam is corrupted, right? That's why my little daughter, as as beautiful as she is, she's got a heart of a sinner. So she comes out of that back room screaming and crying because she's a born sinner, the, from the seed of Adam, from my loins, she she inherited my corrupt nature. Now, when you're born again, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, and you say, Lord, please take residence in my heart, live within me, because I know that I'm rotten to the core and I need salvation. At that moment, immediately, you're given the Holy Spirit. Redemption becomes yours and you have eternal life in Christ. But now we have a dilemma, Because you still got to live out your life here on this earth and your carnal nature, your sinful nature, the first Adam that's still in you is at enmity with the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be battling and fighting fighting that constantly (laughs) because your old flesh wants to flare up, if you will. And not just momentarily, your old nature wants to flare up all the time as long as you're alive. So... We know in the Christian faith, whatever you feed is going to grow stronger. If you continue to feed your flesh, you're going to have more of a problem. If you continue to feed the Holy Spirit that lives in you by being in God's word, by being amongst God's people, by hearing the word of God, uh, uh, living in obedience. and, And we can't do any of this without the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, because he knows that, you know, that's that's what, um, being a uh, self-improvement. That's what self improvements all about. It, it, it's your will. It's trying to do better on your terms and in your time. That's not biblical at all. That's why someone who was a crack addict for 20 years, they can get off a crack in a heartbeat because it's not self-help. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that breaks those bondages off of that individual. But in order to stay in line with the Holy Spirit, we need to continue to feed him and so I share all that because many people say, well, how do I live the Christian life? How do I live this out? How do I apply it to my life? I understand the teachings. I get, the, I get the, 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 the theological teachings and that's all well and good. But many people stumble on the fact of application. How do I apply it to my life? How do I get it from my mind to what I'm actually doing tangibly on a daily basis? Because we all know love, biblical love, long-suffering love is, I love to say this because it's so true, it is a verb. It's an action word. It's something that you do, that I do. It's not merely reading the pages of Scripture. Yes, that's very important. But the application of the biblical principles that we are so fond of, that is where the power lies. We're rendered useless and without any power until we actually apply these principles to our lives. And so that's where the book of James comes into play. I love this book because this book is like the practical application of biblical principles on a daily basis. This book shows you and I what we should be doing, how we should be doing it, and whose authority and in whose power we're able to do it in. And so uh, today we'll be introducing the book of James so I have a bunch of verses. If you're into nerding out on the word like that, um, you can jot these down for, for your own study. Um, it's just going to be an overview today. So there will be a format, but um, you'll see as we get into it. So um, you don't have to stand because I'm not reading a portion of Scripture like that. We'll be going through Scripture throughout our time, but um, it's more or less, again, an overview of this book. So first off... Uh, Let's go ahead and pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for just another opportunity to uh, get into your word, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together as corporate body, Lord, as, 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 as your church, Lord. And uh, there's no coincidences. We don't believe in that, Lord. You draw men and women to yourself. Lord, you draw men and women to your house of worship. Lord, I pray as every individual came in this building, Lord, we know that it's not about the building. or there's no power in this building. Uh, the power is in the, the temple, which is the person and, and the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. Lord, I pray that we all come to you with hearts of thanksgiving and a sacrifice of praise and worship. That's first and foremost, Lord, that we just acknowledge that you are true and living, you're holy and righteous, and that we are just indebted eternally because of your goodness and your mercy and grace to us, Lord. And secondly, I pray that we would come in with the heart of of just wanting to know you more, Lord, and to desire you. And I do believe that is true because there's no other reason why people would come here. Nobody comes here forced. Nobody comes to your house. And and I pray that we don't come begrudgingly, but we come anticipating the Holy Spirit to move. Father, I ask for your anointing to be not only upon me, but upon uh, everyone sitting in every chair here, Lord. Without your anointing, Lord, we, we cannot understand and rightly divide your word, We have no effectiveness of understanding it and let alone applying it to our lives and sharing it with others. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would would fill us fresh and that we would be able to rightly divide your word and that we would see the relevance of it in our day and age today. So, Father, would you do the work that only you could do in a mighty way? Pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, again, the book of James, this is where we're at. It's a great book. It's a great book. It's, it, it's, I, I just I love this about the Word of God in general. I mean, you can even uh, you know, go to Philemon. That's a great book, right? You, you and I could never exhaust the Word of God. You know, some people, you could say, I've read the, the Old Testament a hundred times. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you've done that. You can read it a hundred more times and get so much more out of it because the word of God is living and active because it is supernaturally inspired by God himself the words are eternal the principles are eternal and as we age and as we grow and as we mature in our sanctification the word becomes more and more relevant to our lives to the point where it governs every decision you and I make It is the compass of your life and my life. I love that. I don't know who came up with it, but I love the acronym for Bible. Basic instructions before leaving earth. The sole most important thing that every single human being on the face of the earth has to come to terms with is who Jesus Christ is. And it's, it's interesting because we live in a day and age and unfortunately in the church age, where many Christians can't tell you in one sentence what this book is about. What this book is about. Many people say many things. They'll say, well, this book is about love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, that is a principle. That is very important. That is not the core theme of this book. Many people will say, don't murder. <laughs> that's, that's good. You don't want to murder. It's important. It's a very valid principle. But that's not the core of this book. The core of this book is sin and salvation. That's the heart of this book. And unfortunately, that's not popular in many churches across our land today. Many pastors don't want to say the word sin, they don't want to say, I'm a sinner and I need salvation. You're a sinner and you need a savior. But that's what this book is all about. <laughs> it's about sin, and, and 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 the the resolution to sin. The resolution to sin is Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we 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 have the nativity scene and we talk about all this. It's because Christ came to die in our place so that we could be reconciled, so now we can enjoy peace with God. Remember, I talked about that word enmity. When we were born into this world, we, you, me, were at enmity with God Almighty. <laughs> there, there was a wedge between Him and I, you and Him, and it's the sin that, that's, that's the whole point about being holy. He's set apart, meaning he can have no engagement with anything that would tarnish him. Not like he can be tarnished, but he's pure, he's holy, he's righteous. But how good of a God is he that he allowed his only begotten son to come down out of glory, out of heaven, and mix it up with his creation, to take on human flesh, to be born in an animal's feeding trough. And to live a life that was despised by many so he could redeem sinners in this world. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that will forever change your life when you when you come to terms with the gravity of who Christ is and how he loves you so much that he died for your sins. And not only did he die, but he rose again. No religion can claim that every world religion every person who started every other world religion, they've all admitted that they were sinners. They were people, they're not deity. God, Jesus Christ is the only man God who ever walked the face of the earth. And, 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 and the book of James shows us how this applies to our lives and how we as followers of Jesus should live amongst believers in this world, other people in the church, and how we should respond and react to those who are not of the faith. So, obviously, let's take a wild guess. The author of the book, <laughs> humanly speaking, is James, the half-brother of Jesus Christ, leader, a leader amongst uh, other leaders in the Jerusalem church. Uh, this book was probably written about A.D. 40 uh, to uh, 45 to Jewish Christians, Living outside of Palestine. So when you, when you think about this, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, this book is written to you. It's not written to someone who says, well, I don't profess Christ or I'm on the fence about Jesus. This book is written precisely to those who say, I surrender, I submit, I'm following you, Lord God Almighty, your son, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord. This book is written to those who claim that. The theme of this book is, as Christians, we must live out our faith daily. We must. (laughs) It's not an option. There's no no clause in, in that statement. As a follower of Christ, and that's all that Christian means is follower of Jesus. So we call ourselves Christians. We say, we're we saying, I follow you. I don't follow Facebook. I don't follow YouTube. I don't follow Instachat. I don't follow Apple. I don't follow Google. I don't follow all these things. We live in the epicenter of technology here in the Silicon Valley. We're bombarded with so much of it on a daily basis. It just becomes part of the course for our lives. Many times getting on an iPhone in the morning is like, Old-timers would get up and start a pot of coffee. It's just something that we do. What is... I don't know who are the young people now. Generation Zers? What is it? Generation Z and Like They go back to double A. It's so... I, that's, I don't even... You know, that's too... I'm a simple person. I don't get all these concepts. They're way over my head. But whoever those youngsters are, that's the technology. That's how it is. It's like they cannot get up and start their day without getting on some kind of some kind of social media form you know and 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 I'll be honest it's easy to get wrapped up in that i was talking to daniel earlier this morning we were in prayer and you know i had to apologize to him i far, for a moment i got caught up last week in some sensationalism you know and you know the reality is nothing can supersede the word of god The Word of God has to be the ultimate authority in your life. If you're getting your theology from a YouTube channel, don't do that. Don't do that. And 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 YouTube channels are good. There's people with good content, whatever. The Bible. The Bible. We need Christians to be Bereans. Those who will study the Word for themselves. I tell you this every week. Don't take my word for it. If you're not flipping through the pages on your own and, 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 and writing down the recommendations that I'm showing you that are on the screen, then, then I'm just saying real talk, that's on you. Okay. My responsibility is to be informed and to care for your spiritual well-being and your growth. And I try to do that to the best of my God-given ability week in and week out. But you have a part to play in it as well. And that's where it comes back to the Holy Spirit and what are you feeding, church? It's like what Michelle talked about this morning. Something that she wants to do in her life personally. What she wants to focus more on in this, this new year. You know, there, there should be things that were like, I want to grow in this area. You see, but growth doesn't come by just being like, I want to grow. Yeah, that's cool. You know, there's people that are like, I want to get slim you don't get slim by thinking about it you get slim by doing something about it by by watching what you eat and exercising and doing the necessary things so you can become physically fit if you want to become spiritually fit you and i have to do something about it we have to actively engage in our communion with the lord jesus christ you see it's communion for a reason there's a common union Okay, he's already done his part and he continues to do his part, but he loves to partner with you and I. What good is a partnership if it's one sided and he's doing no sound? And he's doing everything. Oh, okay, no sound. I'll get you sound. Sorry, the YouTube cut out. <laughs> Sorry, mom. That's okay. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's very important that we understand this. and and the relationship that we have with the Lord. And this is where, again, this theme of living out our faith daily. You see, you'll find this theme in James all the time. We should be doers and not just hearers of the word. It's good that we hear, right? The Bible says faith comes by what? By hearing the word of God. And, 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 and I'm so blessed because I see this in my children's lives. Because they for, for the longest time, ever since they before they've been born, in my, in my wife's stomach, they've been hearing the word and they've been prayed over. And we, you know, we constantly are, 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 are you know, introducing them to the word of God. And you see slowly but surely their, their faith growing because they hear the word of God. But now that's one part of it. But where the rubber meets the road is the application You see, we have a lot of believers in our world that know the scripture intellectually, that could point to you whatever address of verses. (laughs) And that's a good thing. I'm not not making small of of those things, those are important principles that we should attain to have. But there's no application. There's no application. Knowing the word and not applying the word is being like someone who hears the word of God, but then does not apply it. If I wanted to be a successful construction worker, a carpenter, and I went to carpentry school or whatever you call it. Obviously, I'm not a trade school. Obviously, I'm not a a carpenter. And I had all this knowledge of, of, of what tool was to be used to do what and how to erect the building and, and get a structure from just being law, you know uh, four by fours on the ground to actually standing. If I had all that knowledge, but I didn't apply it, what kind of carpenter would I really be? I'd be no carpenter at all. I'd be the crummiest carpenter in the world. I'd be broke. No company would hire me because I have... I show that I do nothing, but I have all this knowledge in my head. The same thing goes for you and I today, church. We need to apply what we learn in God's word to our lives on a daily basis. And none of this, I'll start next week nonsense. No, I will start right now. (laughs) Today is the day of salvation. I don't know if I have a next week because I could... Go out and drop dead. I could be on this pulpit and drop dead. Now, that's horrible. That'd be like, you know, Ananias and Sapphira robbing the church. I don't want to be the man in that. But I'm just saying the whole point is there's a number on our head, and we don't know when that number is going to expire. And so with every breath that the Lord God Almighty gives you and I, we must take full advantage if we are wise and utilize the time because the days are evil. We need to grow in this reality daily. The purpose of the book of James is the Christian in James's time were suffering much persecution. They were living in poverty. They weren't the wealthiest of Christians. They they lived by uh, little means. They were in social and spiritual conflict. And many of these believers were living In a worldly manner, we have to understand that there was a lot of, um, I mean, for a lack of better terms, sex gods everywhere. And they were all about, I don't need to get into it. You can use your imagination. I'll use discretion. But these religions had male gods and female gods. Get the picture. (laughs) And all this was going on all around them. And so all of this temptation was right there in front of their faces. And again, if they were not being very adamant about their faith to Christ alone, they would fall victim to compromising their integrity, their spiritual integrity, and then they're like, well, I'm for Jesus Christ, but I'm for Artemis and all these other false gods of uh, the, the, the different religions of, uh, of the region." And so many of these followers of Christ in this time in this area were living in a worldly manner. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? I Love the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon, <laughs> he penned, "There's nothing new under the sun." There's nothing new under the sun. What's gone on back then over two thousand years ago? Same thing is going on in our day and age. A lot in the church compromising integrity not living for Christ, not willing to speak up for Jesus, not willing to stand upon Jesus alone, but say, well, we're a, we're a church that invites every faith. And you, you can stand hand in hand with us because we, 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 we believe you as well. Well, no, there has to be a line of demarcation. There has to be a setting aside, a pulling away from everything else. Because Jesus said, the wide gate leads to destruction, but the narrow gate leads to eternal life. And who is that narrow gate? It's Jesus Christ. No one else. So no, I cannot. I cannot sit with a a Muslim and say, yes, your belief is just as valid as mine. I say, brother, I know the way, the truth, and the life. Silver and gold, I have not, but I know the way to eternal life, and it's in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying hate those people. We love every person. But we point out sin when it's sin. Don't become a Christian that compromises your spiritual integrity for the sake of pleasing other people or because you don't want to feel uncomfortable. Being a Christian, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be uncomfortable with the people that are blood in your family. Because they're going to have opposing views. And they're going to say, well, you're you're just a little narrow-minded about that. Yeah, well... Look at what the Bible says. The Bible is clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life that no one, not my mom, not my grandmama, not my grandpappy, nobody comes to the Father but through him and not through a bunch of religious exercises and rituals, not by good works, but by submitting yourself to his cross and saying, Lord, I need you to forgive me, save my soul. That belief will get you to heaven. Amen. That's all it is. But that's, that's too simple for so many people because we're so sophisticated in our thinking. And we, we, we want to, we have all these, deg- and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with having degrees. But it's dangerous when you don't humble yourself and you have all of these, you know, letters after your name. Because you, your identity becomes, well, I'm Dr. So-and-so. Or I was valedictorian of so-and-so. Okay, that's cool. You're still a sinner. <laughs> You're no better than me. You still have a debt that you can't pay. I don't care what school you went to. I don't care if you got out of student debt. doesn't matter. I don't care what your figure is that you make a year. You're still in debt spiritually. You're bankrupt without Jesus Christ. You see, and this is what this book, the book of James, speaks to. James corrects these Believers of his time and challenges them to seek God's wisdom to work out all of their problems. We have about we have several key themes of the book and we'll, we'll, we'll briefly go over all these. And this is just going to set the tone for next week when we begin to get into the book. But the first key theme is this. God is a gracious giver. He is the unchanging creator. He is merciful and compassionate. He is also judge and the one and only God. He is a jealous God, a gracious God, and a healing God. He has many titles. Too many that I I can't name at at this point in time. But the book of James is all about getting believers back on track. You see, it's a common theme. Even if we just went through Haggai, that was the same thing. The believers were off track. They were building their own homes, and some even had a vacation home. And the temple laid in ruins. And Haggai was was grieved by this and the Holy Spirit revealed this to him and the word to the people was stop what you're doing and rebuild my temple and then everything will go well for you stop putting your desires before me and I don't need to get into it but when we really do the Lord's work and we're really putting him first he actually begins to, to to rearrange and change the desires in our heart altogether and we're no longer all about ourselves and we're more about doing his will in his work it's kind of like as you get older in christmas right when you're a youngster it's all about man what gifts am i getting oh auntie so-and-so's coming through what gifts has she got for me grandpa so-and-so's coming through mom dad what you got for me what am i uh, this is my list you know you get older it's like you're not even tripping off getting stuff it's like i'm giving (laughs) i get joy out of giving i get joy out of seeing other people blessed it's like you know uh, for me, it was, I was a late bloomer, so it didn't happen until later on in life. But, you know, my conversations with my mom nowadays about Christmas is like, i got what I want. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I have what I want. The Lord has blessed me. I have what I need. I have what I want. How many people can say that? They have what they need and what they want. So many people are searching. I, I need this. I need this. You don't need that. That's why you keep saying I need it because you're going after the wrong stuff. And it won't ever fill. You need Christ. You need Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can fulfill you to where you're like, okay, I know how to live in little and in much. And I can be content because my contentment is found in him. In him. We're searching for all these other things and all these other people. No marriage, no child, no relationship is going to fulfill you other than Jesus Christ. But I can guarantee you, you put Christ first, your marriage is going to be all that much better, even when it hits the rocks. The relationship with your children, your grandchildren, your cousins, your family is going to be so much better, even in the hard times when you put Christ first. We have to do this, church. This is what the book is talking about. Pointing all of us back to the right direction, back to God Almighty. Remember what Jesus Christ said in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. You see, the church of Ephesus, they had done what? They had abandoned their first love. Do you see the theme? It's wayward people off track. God's like, I got to get you back on track. (laughs) That's what it is. We're off track. He's like, get back on track. (laughs) We go a little bit. We're off track. Get back on track. The Lord God was showing the people that abiding in him through belief in his son, Jesus Christ, was the only way to live a true life of obedience. You see, many of us struggle with obedience, right? We're like, I get it. I get it in my mind. I'm struggling with the obedience part. (laughs) Abiding in him. We have to abide in him. It's not what I'm doing that's wrong. It's where am I abiding where is my energy abiding? Where is my thought process abiding? Where, is my, where are my emotions abiding? If our thoughts, emotions, our will, if they're abiding in anything else other than Jesus Christ, you're going to struggle even harder. <clears throat> because Jesus said it himself, you get an unclean spirit out of you when you confess your allegiance to Jesus, right? That unclean spirit leaves but that unclean spirit leaves and it's just like right behind the pillar, kind of hiding. And say you're the person that you gave, you, you, you're, you profess, oh Lord, I, I love you, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, it happens one time. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is an everyday thing. If the one of the first things that you say when you wake up in the morning and you're on your knees in prayer, if it's not... Lord, empty me my, of myself and fill me with the Holy Spirit afresh, then you're going to have problems. <laughs> if you never say that and you just did the whole, Lord, save me in my chair, prayer, whatever, then you know what? There's no Holy Spirit <laughs> in you in, in the sense of you're not filled on a daily basis. So unclean spirits are, 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 are demons that live. Demons need a host, right? They need a host. They don't want to be lurking around without a host because they want to live through someone so they could do what they do, so they could do Satan's bidding. Jesus said it himself, that unclean spirit is going to come back with more unclean spirits and that house is going to be worse off than it was the first time when you got cleaned up. This is why it's so important to be in the word daily. This is why it's so important to ask the Lord, fill me fresh. There's not a day that goes by. There's not a morning that doesn't go by that I don't say, Lord, empty me of myself and fill me fresh with the Holy Spirit. That's not a time that I don't sit down to get in God's word when I say, Lord, fill me fresh with the Holy Spirit so that I may understand your word. You see, the anointing is so important. It's so important. You can't do anything in this life that's gonna honor God without it. And how are we going to honor God if we don't have the Holy Spirit moving in and through us, being drunk with the Spirit, so that you're drunk in graciousness. You're drunk in in patience, in long-suffering, in loving, in kindness, rather than being drunk with alcohol or drunk with whatever else you're looking to, to, to make you happy. This is so important, church. God is a gracious God. And he will provide whatever we need if we ask sincerely with the right motives. He'll give if you and I ask with the right motive, with the right reasoning, with the right heart. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If, you, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. The application is this. Wisdom comes from above. You see, God's wisdom enables you and I to withstand trials and to have peace, rather divisions, in our personal lives and even within the church. That's how the church survives, by godly wisdom. We're all imperfect people. You see, we're all going to have issues with one another at some point in time. I love how, I love how Pastor Tim would, he, he would tell me, is it a salvational issue? If it's not a salvational issue, why are you, why are you, why are you stressing on it? Why are you losing sleep? You see, we have to learn to pick our battles. Some things aren't worth battling over. Some things aren't worth fighting over. Some things are. If it's a salvational issue, if someone's teaching and speaking heresy, then clearly, yeah, speak up about it, led by the Holy Spirit. But if it's something where it's like, I mean, you know, i you know, I I just like sweet and low, and I don't know why you you keep bringing the French vanilla, you know, it's just bumming me out. I don't like, I don't really like donuts, and I mean, you, you know, I'm trying to lose weight, and you're just making me fat coming to church service. Or you know, I, I you know, I really, you know, you're not a real Christian if you're wearing a mask because you're not living by faith. I mean, that, you know, we bicker over the dumbest things while Satan's sitting back laughing taking up residence within the church body. What? And then you got heretics talking all this cockamamie nonsense from the pulpit, and and, and so many Christians are lulled to sleep because they're not reading the Bible on their own, and then people are being duped, being sent to hell, thinking they're saved. They're not even saved. Talking a bunch of nonsense. That's why you got people running around barking like dogs. What is that? That is not the Holy Spirit. I am sorry. That is an unclean spirit that people are letting up in the church. Pastors running around with a million dollars worth of jewelry on them. What are you talking about, man? That's not what it's about. Jesus came. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. What are you doing wearing any jewelry all crazy like that? don't make no sense. Living for the kingdom of this world, not living for the godly kingdom of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We have to be aware, church. You see, we must notice this about wisdom. Because many people think, oh, you know, oh Lord, you take it away, all my problems, all my pain. I'm not saying that God can't take away your problems and your pain, but wisdom doesn't necessarily take away trials, but it does allow us to walk through these trials and to mature despite them. You see that it's not it's not a it's not a it's not a ticket to to an easy life being a Christian. To be a true Christian, actually, your life is going to get much harder in certain senses because you got to be real with the reality of who you know God is and who you know you are. <laughs> and you got to come clean with your sin. And then you got to deal with the fact that some of the people that you rode with so hard in the world, they're probably going to despise you and reject you because they're actually despising Christ in you. And they're not happy with the fact that you're not down to go to the club and you're not down to go hang out with, with, with old girl Jezebel and all her homegirls and get into God knows what. Nonsense, and you're not into talking a certain way anymore, and you're not into watching certain. Th- oh man, you're so boring, bro. What you mean you can't watch that, homie? I'm trying to guard my mind and my heart. I can't be watching that. I can't be sub- subjecting myself to that kind of stuff, you know. Because you know Satan be behind all them Hollywood actors and actresses, many of them, and it's satanic stuff they're implanting in you and your children. It's crazy. The uh, what is it? The the Santa Claus. Uh, the Santa Claus, it's like a, I don't know if it's the movie or if it was the little the little mini series, but they had on there. There's one clip my, my Veronica sent it to me, like you know when I was on break and well I'm still on break, but and it said instead of say, saying I love Santa, it said I love Satan. Disney, what are you doing? And they all about all that nonsense. It's the series, yeah, but it's like what are you doing, man? What are you teaching these kids? Same thing with American Girl, selling these goods to 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 twelve year old girls saying. They got a little book. Well, you know, the doctor can, can give you a medicine to slow down your body from producing your normal, how you normally produce. And if you want to become a boy, you can do that. And then they're making these little dolls that are whatever. They're, I guess they're, oh, when well, you're not either. You're not a male or a female. You're just, oh, need I say more? What does the Bible say? You see, Satan is deconstructing the word of God right before our eyes, and he's trying to get people to believe you can do whatever you want. You can marry whoever you want to be. No, you're defaming the word of God. You're not redefining marriage. You're defaming and you're blaspheming God's word because he instituted marriage between one man and one woman for life. You think he was happy with Solomon having all those concubines? He wasn't happy with that. He said one man and one woman, not a man and a man, not a man and a woman, not a man and three women, not polygamy. One man, one woman for life. You get, you know, I don't don't want to get into that because that's a whole other thing. I know it's a sensitive topic, but the reality is we need to be aware. The second theme is this. God allows tests and trials, but temptation comes from ourselves. And from Satan these things require a response of patient endurance you see testing and trials are part of the course for the Christian life there's no way around it there's no way around it this is the life that we've signed up for the reality is this even apart from Christ you're gonna go through trials and tribulations Wouldn't you rather go through the trials of life with Jesus Christ on your side rather than you just solo bolo trying to get through it? It ain't going to work when you do it. When you're at the helm, when I'm at the helm, it it all messes up. But when he's the one in the driver's seat, he navigates us through these difficult things that we go through. Even the good things in life can become difficult because it tests your humility. How do you deal with praise? How do you deal when someone says, hey, man, great job, buddy. Oh, man, you're so good. You know, I, I, I hear it a lot when, you know, I'm amongst unbelievers or certain family members or something and I pray. And they're like, oh, that's so great. And that's so beautiful. And, and I'm not trying to, you know, play down. I get what they're saying, but it's like redirect the praise to God. Redirect the praise to Jesus Christ, because it ain't me who's making anything beautiful. If anything, I kill the flowers. You know, I'm like the cyanide in the room that messes everything up. I'm like the Grinch at Christmas. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes me tolerable. You wouldn't want to be around me if I didn't have the Holy Spirit living in me. Let me tell you. And the reality is I wouldn't want to be around you if you didn't have the Holy Spirit living in you. It's just the truth. I mean, I know that it, that's not an easy thing to stomach, but it's the reality. It's the Holy Spirit that makes us appealing to one another and to the world. What did Jesus say? You are the salt of the world. What is the salt? If it's lost, it's what? <laughs> it's good for nothing. It's going to be shoveled out and thrown into the dung pile. We want to be those that are salty. We preserve the goodness of life. I, you know, I love how Daniel's always praying for the country. You know, and, and, that, and that's what we should be doing. Christians are the only ones, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that are preserving this country to falling apart. It's already falling apart. But I'm saying the slow decay. <laughs> that's what salt does. is a sl- the, the meat slowly decays instead of it just decaying right away. And bring flavor. We're supposed to bring flavor to the world. We're supposed to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to those around us. May we be those, Heavenly Father, that never lose our saltiness. The Lord was clear uh, when he spoke through the Apostle Paul about testing in trials in this life. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. That's right there. You're going to go through, and, I, and, and I'm, not, I'm not even getting into the, the, the great tribulation. I, I don't Nobody knows the day or the hour. I'm not getting caught up in all that jazz. Today is the day. What are we supposed to do today? You know, because he's, Jesus is going to be like, what did you do on a daily basis? He's not asking us about the great tribulation. This is so, again, the sensationalism of things. It's 2023, read revelations are certain things that have to happen. You know, um, as far as I know, the temple isn't built yet. So we're not there. (laughs) We're not there. Certain things have to happen in order for certain things to take place. You know, so instead of being caught up in when this, when that, when that, it's like, Lord, what am I supposed to do today? Because <laughs> you and I both got family members that are on the way to hell if you and I don't open up our mouth and say something and live in a righteous manner before them and share the love of Christ with them. And so that is what our purpose should be. You see, every trial that you and I live through helps us build endurance so that our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ may grow. A great example of this is, think of an NFL player. You know, the draft is coming soon um, in April, you know. And, you know, I'm a sports guy. I've been watching bowl games, making my wife probably crazy, <laughs> all these bowl games. But Alabama's quarterback, he's, he's, he's going to more than likely enter the draft. He's a, he's a good player, good quarterback. Uh, but, you know, many of, these, many of these, these young men in college, they start off young. Many of them start off, you know, I mean, I, I, I played Pop Warner football, started when I was eight years old. Many of these guys do the same thing. Start off real young playing football. Think about it as an eight year old boy playing tackle football, putting on a helmet, probably giving yourself a concussion, CTE already. <laughs> you know, every year, every season, you're experiencing some kind of adversity from an early age all the way up through high school, through college to the professional ranks. Their endurance would have to mature and grow in the arena of football in order for them to thrive and excel in that profession. In the same way, picture a Christian's walk through life in trials. Many of these trials include poverty, mistreatment of people, the poor especially being mistreated, But as you grow in your walk with Christ, you should be growing in endurance. You should be growing in long suffering. I should be growing in patience and all these things through the trials that we've gone through, right? Because that's that's what we're we're supposed to be. What we're supposed to be formed more and more into into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ and His moral character. We already know that we're created in the moral image of God, but because again, going back to that. That nasty uh, first Adam sin nature, we're constantly, you know, in a, in a tug of war between the Holy Spirit and and, and that unclean spirit that, that that sin nature that's trying to rise up all the time. But we go through trials, and it, it's supposed to grow us to be more like Christ. As believers, we are especially supposed to give attention to the poor. Those in the church are supposed to care for the needs of the poor. Psalm. Verse 82, verse 3 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. We as saints of God must care for those who are being taken advantage of in this world. We are not to ignore them. We are supposed to care for them. You see, the wealthy are condemned for their pride and for their stealing from the poor. The righteous who follow after Christ should care for the needs of the poor. Um, Example of this a couple of weeks ago, um, <clears throat> my wife and I uh, volunteered to speak on behalf of Sunny Hills, the apartment complex we live at. There is a section of the, the, the complex that's uh, for uh, you know affordable housing for uh, low low income Section Eight housing. And um, long story short, basically there a lot of the residents there are are very uh, scared if you will, because they're not sure that the owner is going to, you know, renegotiate with HUD, and so they're fearful of their place to live. So the whole point was to go go to City Hall and, and, and um, on the night of the new mayor being sworn in in Milpitas and to speak up and to share. And so, you know, we had prayed about it, and obviously there was a certain way to go about it. and um, But, you know, uh, my, my wife and myself and, 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 and other people had spoken up, and, and shared uh, you know, in front of uh, the city council and the mayor the importance of keeping Sunny Hills uh, affordable for those who need it. And again, that's just one example of, of just speaking up for the poor. Um, you know, Many of you have been involved in the homeless ministry and you know firsthand what that looks like. And again, that's the same thing, reaching out, speaking up for the poor, obviously in Jesus' name. You know that—that's what we're about. You know, in Jesus' name, not—not not doing things merely for the sake of social uh, injustice. It's in Jesus' name. We want to see these people saved. We want to see their souls saved from eternal hell. Uh, the th- another theme. The third theme is this in the book of James. There is both future judgment and future reward. You see, judgment from the Lord is spoken all throughout Scripture. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 tells us, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's going on right now. That's never stopped. You know, That's never stopped. That's always been. Wicked men are trying to suppress the truth, but they can't. It's like you can't take Christ out of Christmas one of the Holy Spirit's tasks in this world is to convict the world of of, of coming judgment. When a person truly understands his or her sin, they will acknowledge their their guilty position before a holy God. The sober reality of judgment should cause the sinner to turn to Jesus Christ and cast themselves on the mercy of Him. But praise the Lord that in Christ, mercy triumphs over judgment. This is how much he loves us that his mercy triumphs over his own judgment. Only God can do that. James chapter 2 verse 13 tells us for judgment without mercy or for judgment is mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. For us as believers, it's a little different, right? We will be judged, but not a final judgment of conviction. Ours will be a judgment of our works for Jesus Christ here on earth. Lasting works of value to the Lord will survive. That's what's known as gold and silver and precious stone. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 and 15 kind of explains this. I'll share it. It says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Rewards, which the Bible calls crowns, will be given to the one who is not unjust, someone who's righteous, who's who's received the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord will not forget your work And the love that you've shown him so all the things that you do that you toil it's not in vain if you're honoring the lord if you're honoring the lord with your heart and your due diligence and you're giving the first fruit of your 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 essence who you are your your god-given abilities your talents your resources he remembers that he knows he he keeps a record of all these things he even has a bottle where all your tears are stored what the bible says you know, he remembers. The whole point is he remembers. It's not it's not it's not done in some vacuum where it's just it's just in oblivion. He has he's he's conscious of where you're at and what you're going through and what I'm going through. But remember we will be rewarded based on our motive of heart, not merely following and keeping Man-made set of rules. That's what what the the religious leaders did, and, and Jesus rebuked them. Remember in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, it says, You hypocrites! Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, these religious leaders were rebuked because whatever obedience they showed, it was motivated by self-righteousness and it wasn't motivated by the love of God. Those who were promised rewards for obedience were rebuked many times because their obedience was not from the heart. It was incomplete. God knows, right? We, we can't put on a show. We can't front. We can front before each other. <laughs> you know, that's where that whole thing of, you know, you can rattle off scripture and, and that's fine, but you know, it's about your heart. It's about the condition of your heart. Nobody cares about all this knowledge if it's not led by a heart that's, that's submitted to Jesus Christ. You see, God's Word is the instruction manual for our lives. When we apply these principles, our consciences are cleaned and our lives function as they were designed to function. And that, honestly, is a reward in and of itself. Think about it like this. This is an example. Think about a man who buys a swing set for his young children, right? And I guess I'll say me. I don't have a swing set, but I'm not very, you know, I don't use tools like that, right? Someone who doesn't use tools, but the swing set comes with an instruction manual, okay? If the father reads the manual, constructs the the swing set the way it's supposed to, it's gonna bring lasting joy and reward for himself and his children as well. They're going to be able to play on the swing set safely and everything's gonna work out. Now, take the stubborn man or the pig-headed man. I'll use myself as an example again. (laughs) And and, and I see this and I'm like, I don't need this manual. These big bars look like they go like this. The chain obviously goes on like that. The seat sits there and everything's gonna work out. And then just go blindly putting stuff together. Well, what's going to happen when that swing set stands strong and then, you know, somebody who's got a little weight sits on one of those swings? Probably not too good. Probably it could be disastrous. The same thing can be said of the Word of God. It's a manual for our lives. It's an instruction booklet that tells you and I how we are supposed to live and how we can excel and exceed not only in this life but for surely in the next But if we do not apply the principles of the Bible to our lives, there's a very destructive consequences that are going to take place in our lives. The application is simply this. There are built-in rewards for simply following the Bible's instructions. Built-in rewards. He says, don't steal, don't steal. He says, get married if you want to enjoy that stuff like that. Get married, man. Get married. Don't, don't play house and think it's going to be all good. Don't have a sitting lover and thinking it's going to work out. Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. I mean, that's so plain and simple right there. He says, if you abide in Jesus Christ, your leaf will never wither. You're going to prosper in all you do. Not just a little eeny, teeny, weeny bit. In everything you touch. that's what Michelle talked about. When her dad says, man, you're bringing Jesus with you. You're bringing Jesus into the situation. It's all ungodliness and dark, and you're bringing Christ into the situation. You can bless that whole place. Everybody. It's like when Jesus walked and what happened? The woman with the issue of blood, she just touched the hem of his garment and she got healed. I'm not saying we're going to be doing miracles. What I'm saying is you're bringing Christ with you. So you're bringing the light of God into every situation and circumstance. If you submit to his authority and rule in your life, the leaf of your life is not going to wither. You're going to prosper in all you do. Don't be like a wicked man or woman who is blown away like the shaft. It's worthless. A life that was created to reflect the light of Jesus Christ and now is worthless. That's sad. That's sad. How how God's heart must grieve over those who continually reject him. He takes no pleasure in, in seeing people go to hell. But we send ourselves to hell of our own volition because we hold a clutch fist against God and say, no, I don't want to bend a knee and surrender and submit to you. The Bible is clear. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So much easier to do it now than be forced to. (laughs) To be forced to. That's a horrible thing. I shouldn't have even laughed. It's a horrible thing obedience to the word includes obedience to the gospel of jesus christ and that carries great rewards when we accept god's offer of salvation through faith in jesus christ we are pronounced righteous in his sight you know that do you know that that's that's what michelle was talking about looking at it positively i don't know where you're at today but if you've accepted jesus christ as your savior and you truly have committed your life to him he is looking at you as righteous you may not feel it You don't have to feel it. I I know I don't feel righteous. But it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's imputed to me. And that's what God sees. That's what God the Father sees. And he smiles upon you because he sees his son. He sees what his son did. All you have to do is accept it and then begin to walk in it. Walk in it. (laughs) Have a relationship with him. Take it serious like an athlete. You know, the athletes, they, I mean drinking muscle milk and lifting weights all the time and cutting weight and, you know, it's like all their life is just consumed with the sport so they can excel. As a Christian, you need to be consumed with Christ so you can excel. If you're not consumed with Christ, you're not going to excel. There has to be some kind of regiment that your life is, it, it, it revolves around. And I'm not talking about legalistic stuff. I'm talking about getting down to the nitty-gritty and saying, I'm making a decision I'm going to be motivated. I want to see these areas of my life change and go after it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's tangible. It's there for you and I. You can have it. You can live not your best life now, but you can live in a way that can honor and glorify God now and you can be freed from everything that seeks to hinder the work of God in your life. It's a new year, right? We, change should be falling off. We should not be followers of Christ bound to anything. There shouldn't be. There shouldn't be anything bound. You shouldn't be bound by, I shouldn't be bound by anything. I'm not saying you're not going to struggle, but the power is there. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Don't look at your situation like, it's, like it can't be broken, like it can't change. He's the God of this universe. He can do anything. All things can be done that are going to honor him. Please take that to heart. Somebody in this room has to hear that today. They have, You have to. Do not walk around bound. What a person says has power both to destroy and bring peace. There is much power and influence in words. What we say and how we say it. It's extremely important as we, as followers of Jesus Christ, learn to control the tongue. It's been said that scars from ill words said to someone last longer than scars from physical abuse. Those chains can be broken too, in Jesus' name. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 tells us, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to all those who hear. We want to be those that bring life, not death. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4 tells us a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You don't want to break the spirit of someone. You see, that's what Jesus Christ does not do. He doesn't break our spirit. He may rebuke us. Conviction will set in, but he doesn't break our spirit. That's what Satan does. That's what condemnation does, right? You're no good loser. You suck. (laughs) You're horrible. You make trashy decisions. You're the worst person ever. You don't deserve it. That's all condemning. That's from an unclean spirit. It's meant to break your spirit. God doesn't do that. The true God of the universe does not do that. El Shaddai does not do that. The Lord God Almighty does not do that. You see, it is clear from these few verses alone that the tongue brings either life or death, blessing or curses. The application is this. We must live in submission to Jesus Christ in order to have our hearts renewed daily so that we may speak life and not death. I just have a few more and I'll end. The next is this. Rather than merely hearing God's word, believers must obey the word of God in their daily actions. You see, obedience and healthy spiritual fruit go hand in hand. You cannot separate the two. Just as disobedience to Jesus Christ breeds spiritual death, you see, the question every person has to ask is this, who will I obey? Who will you obey? There are only two options, either the Lord Jesus Christ or your flesh. You can lump up your flesh and Satan in the same boat because it's basically one and the same. <laughs> who will you obey? Living a life of obedience to God alone is the only way to live a truly fulfilling life. This is accomplished by daily walking with him through careful study of his word, spending time in prayer, meaning not just you talking, but listening to him talk to, meditating, letting him speak, and fellowshipping with the saints. Staying in communion with believers. Don't just drift off. Don't do the solo bolo YouTube act. It ain't going to cut it. I'm telling you. It ain't going to cut it. You have to be in fellowship with believers because it's going to help gird you in truth so that you can stay strong in the day of temptation. Faith does come by hearing the word. Along with hearing God's word, we as believers must mature in our faith, meaning we put into action the principles that we are taught in his word. It's not enough to merely hear and not do. 1 John chapter 3, verse 24 tells us, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right. One last one and we'll end. Prayer is the proper response to trials, but it must not be self-seeking. It is to be centered and central in all of life's circumstances, good or bad, looking to Jesus Christ. You see, we are to give thanks. Sometimes being thankful in difficult situations is very hard, but it can be done. Scripture is very clear about this kind of response. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 tells us, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The application is this. Be thankful rather than complain because this takes a conscious act of the will, but it must be done. And it's a sacrifice on our part of our natural desires. And man, again, it goes back to that, that sin nature. The sin nature wants to complain. And it's not fair. Why do they get it? Why am I getting it? Why, why do I get the short end of the stick? I mean, look at Joseph. Joseph had every right to complain. Look at what happened to him, man. Sold into slavery. Brothers hating on him. woman tried to say you know, did something that wasn't correct, not good. Look at Job. And we know, yeah, Job went through it. But I'm saying, I mean, there's plenty of people that could complain. But complaining is not the right way to go about it. Thanking God for all things does not mean that we thank God for evil done to us. It means that we are thanking God for the benefits that he intends for us when he allows these things to happen. And lastly, we should believe and act upon the word of God. When Jesus, remember, when he was tested in the wilderness, he responded to each temptation by quoting scripture. And this is why it's so important to get the word deep down in you. It needs to become a part of you to where you're able to recite it on a moment's notice, but not just you know, reiterating it. There's a comprehension there. There's a belief there. There's power in his anointed word. Deuteronomy 8 says it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We can follow Jesus', ex- Jesus example successfully when we engage in spiritual, spiritual warfare by proclaiming truth in the face of tests and temptations. I don't know where you're at today, but if you're not facing some kind of trial, trust me or trust the Lord. You're going to in the near future. May we all be girded up in truth so that we are able to stand the day of temptation and fight the good fight. Amen? Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And I know that at times it's not easy to hear, but Lord, these are important sayings. You left this holy, sacred scripture so that we may benefit from it. Give us wisdom to apply these things to our lives. May we seek your will above everything else. May we live to be filled with you and content in you and no matter what goes on in our lives so that we may run this race well. Use our lives, Lord. May we live a life of submission to you so that we may bring honor and glory to your name. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.